Well, good morning, Austin Oaks Church family. So good to see you. Wow. Okay. The feeling's mutual, trust me. I'm just kidding. Hey, I want to say good morning to the Classic Service. Thank you for being flexible this morning, and I'm going to share with you why we're streaming live over there. Typically, we pre-record the message for that service, and it was a delight to be with you last week. And so um, thank you for being flexible and enjoying the bluegrass music over there. Um, We're now in week two of the series called Need Rest, and I believe that this series is a timely um, t- uh, message series for us as a people, um, not just like Americans in the West, but truly as followers of Jesus, because I think we need to truly slow down and navigate the heart of matters. I'm reminded of a proverb that j- it just hit me last night. G- above all else, guard your heart. Above All else, guard your heart. Why? It's the wellspring of life. And I don't know about you, but in the busyness and the hurriness and the distraction of life and all of the things that come at me and all of the things that I need to do and all of the things that I know I can't get to and all of the burdens that I feel like, my goodness, if I do this as a dad, it's just going to affect my kids and all the other things that come. We neglect the heart. Because there's so many other pressing issues, and we call that, right, the tyranny of the urgent. But we hear clearly, above all else, guard your heart. Do you need rest? (laughs) Yeah, we do. Thomas Merton, he once called the the rush and pressure of modern life, like, hear these words. It, these words are so powerful. He called the rush, the, I'll get it right the third time, the rush and pressure of modern life a pervasive form of contemporary violence. A pervasive form. Like our culture and all of the things that come at us, it seeps in at multiple levels. In fact, at every level of life. And he describes it as a contemporary form of violence. And I said, and I was asking myself the question, like, why violence? And I started thinking about it, and it dawned on me. Busyness, distraction, hurriedness, anxiousness, stress, all of that, it kills what is most essential and valuable in our lives, our heart. It causes us to be shallow. It causes us to treat our emotional, mental, and spiritual lives through the, the realm of sound bites and Twitter and getting our opinions and our feet from other people instead of actually sitting at the feet of Jesus. Hurriedness and love are not compatible. Love is patient. Love is kind. But when you're constantly in this rush of life and distraction and burden and stress and anxiety, these things disappear. So it's no wonder that he would say that the rush and pressure of our modern life is this pervasive form of contemporary violence. 
Another preacher said it this way, that today a number of historical circumstances are blindly flowing together and accidentally conspiring to produce a climate within which it is difficult not just to think about God or to pray, but to have any interior depth whatsoever. We, for every kind of reason, good and bad, are distracting ourselves into a spiritual oblivion. It is not that we have anything against God or depth or spirituality. We like these. It's just that we are habitually too preoccupied to have any of these show up on our radar screens. Pathological busyness, distraction, and restlessness are major blocks today within our spiritual lives. Do you feel that? Above all else, guard your heart. We live in a time, in a culture, with all of these stupid devices, and I'm going to call them stupid. At one point, they were called smart because we were all deceived into thinking it will help our lives get better. Liars. (laughs) Like, we have all of these things, and all of a sudden, it opens up this portal. Like, do you remember the days when you could have dinner, and you could actually, like, take the phone off the hook, and nobody could disrupt you? Right now, it's like you can interrupt me at any time you want, and we also have this like this incessant desire just to make sure there's no more notifications on my phone. All of these voices and all these things that come through all of these different media and social media channel, uh, channels—they're all inviting us to come to them, to come give our heart and our attention to them, and so we constantly find ourselves distracted, busy. I hear it over and over and over. Man, I tried to read the Bible, but within two minutes, my brain's over here, or I'm trying to pray, and I can't focus, and all these types of things. Over and over, we find ourselves saying, I don't have time to pray. I don't have time to be with Jesus. I don't have time to be in the Word. I don't have time to be in the church. I don't have time to take my wife on a date. I don't have time to spend time with my kids. I don't have time to deal with my... You see what I'm saying? It's like we know all these things, and guess what we do? We keep pushing it off. We keep pushing it off. We keep pushing it off, and it just builds and builds and builds and builds. Need rest? It reminds me of what Jesus said to Mary and Martha, specifically to Martha. Martha, you are worried and upset about many things, but Mary chose one. One thing is needed. And this morning, I want to talk to you about that one thing. What is that one thing that we need that is the absolute cure and the only remedy to find rest for our souls? So turn with me to Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, 29, and 30. Three of the most simple verses, three of the most well-known verses that we have in the church, and also three of the most misunderstood Jesus says, come to me. It's the same invitation that everything else in this world says to. Come to me. All who labor and are heavy laden, all who labor and are burdened, weary, exhausted, and I will give you rest. Notice he's comparing and contrasting. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. For I am gentle, I'm lowly in heart, I'm humble in essence, and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy 
and my burden is light. So I want to have an honest confession with you. This morning, I am the one who needs rest. I am the one who labors. I am the one who is weary and burdened and anxious and worried about many things. All week, I tried so hard to write this message and I wanted it to be profound. I wanted it to be clever. And I started taking upon myself the weight of responsibility. It's on me. I got to be clear. I got to be good. Because if I'm not, then they're going to think I'm a failure. And so I started to spin and overwork and overstress and get over anxious about all these things. But friends, I need to hear this invitation. I'm supposed to preach on Thursday evening to record the video for the classic service. Well, that didn't work. I was like, great, it's going to be more time to work on this message but I kept feeling a block. Okay, we'll come in on Friday. We'll record on Friday to, write the, to do the message. Well, car had to go to the shop. Couldn't do it. Oh, more time to work on the message. Saturday night, we're going to do it. I'm here preaching. Tried three times. Couldn't work. It was as if God's like, stop, Brandon. Stop. You need to come to me. And I was like, no, I need to preach. No, no, you, you need to come to me because you need to see the yoke that you have on top of you, the yoke that you've placed on you, the thing that makes you feel like you don't measure up, the thing that makes you think that you're a constant hypocrite where you feel like you just got to work harder and better so that other people don't think that you're a failure, Brandon. So everybody looks at you and says, he's a good guy. Brandon, you need to see the yoke that's on you where you start to think that if you were to fail, that people would leave you, that nobody really cares for you or loves you. Oh, these are the narratives that run in the background. But we're so busy that we just keep pushing it back. It's the yoke that tells me and persuades me that I'm responsible to find peace. I'm responsible to find contentment. I'm responsible to find my own joy. That I'm the one that has to do it. And so I give so much emotional and mental and spiritual energy to it to only find myself absolutely exhausted internally. Feeling like a mess, a crazy person. Have you ever felt that? Please say yes. <laughs> you're like, what's wrong with me? And you don't want to tell nobody because you're afraid they're going to look at you all weird. And you're like, I don't get it, Jesus. I don't get it. I don't understand. Where are you? And you're just in this angst. Man, I love my wife. Speaks truth to me. Reminding me of God's heart for me and praying for me. And I needed to hear that. And all along, what I kept hearing Jesus say over and over and over is, Brandon, come to me. Come to me. Because you are weary, you're working too hard, you're laboring for something that you can't attain. And I'm not even asking you to do that. So stop, just come to me. As a pastor, to admit that publicly feels rather pathetic. But then I realized, wait, I'm human, just like you. We all need to hear this invitation. And here's the thing that makes it hard. 
To come to Jesus is choosing to trust Jesus. Choosing to trust that he won't put you to shame for coming in the status and the condition that you are presently in. You know what I'm saying? You want me to come to you in my insecurity and in my not good enough and in my craziness and in all of my anxiety and fear, like come to that, like I don't know if I do trust you. Like I feel like you will shame me or you will guilt me or you will remind me how ungood I am and how unrighteous I am. But God's like, no, come to me because this is where we need to hear this invitation. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. Like, like you come as you are in your present state, not when you get it all together, not when you finally have figured out, not when you finally attain the peace and the rest for yourself. Jesus is saying to a mass of people with great urgency, come to me now as you are. Friends, that takes trust. That is, that, that's hard sometimes because we believe so many lies about ourselves. Either we can do it, I can fix it, God, let me show you that I can make it right, or we believe the lie that we're so bad and so unworthy that there's no way God could actually be inviting me to come. But he's inviting us to himself. Think about that. He's inviting us not to a religion, not to a greater morality, not to another program, not to a five-step self-health program that helps you get better self-esteem so that way you could be your true authentic self and find everything with inside of you. He's saying, come to me. And who is Jesus? Oh my goodness, he's the son of the living God who spoke everything into being, who knows you inside and out, who perfectly formed you and perfectly created you, who came from heaven to earth to show you the way to the Father. He's the logos of God, the very word of God. And as we look to Jesus, we get to see God's heart and God's desire for us. Come to me. Come to your creator because he loves you and he wants to give you the rest that you know you need. But sometimes we are so busy, we're so distracted and so hurried that we constantly say, I don't know how to do that. I don't know where the margin is in my I just, I don't know. I'll get to it later. And the inevitable result is this slow erosion of the heart. The slow decay of our spirit slipping into what that author said, spiritual oblivion. All who labor. Do you feel like you work so hard to make life work? You ever like work so hard to get out of debt to find yourself in debt a month later? You ever work so hard praying and trying to love your children to only find yourself snap at them or make some decision later on that you're like, (laughs) work so hard to show others that you are a good person and yet feel like you 
fall short, work so hard to calm the anxious heart? Are you internally weary from laboring? That's this invitation. You come as you are. That is trust. You come as you are. You come with your circumstances and your situations of life. You come with your emotions and your, your mentality and all of the frustrations and hurts and confusion and bitterness and doubt. You come just as you are. You don't come later. You come right now. Because that promise is there. I will give you rest. I am arrogant enough. I believe that when I fail Jesus, failure in my mind, to how I equate failure to Jesus, I'm like, okay, God, I will prove to you that I am worth your time. Watch me go. I will pray harder. I will read more. I will sermon prep more. I will do this better. And then I can finally come, right? No. You come to Jesus just as you are. And here's the beauty. Because as we come to him, we start to discover something. We get to discover his heart and who he is. And then and only then do we get to see what this rest is. Coming to Jesus and getting to know Jesus in this process and in the spiritual journey because it's a daily thing. Amen? It's a daily thing to come to Jesus. We get to understand who he is. And Jesus knows that our trust can only grow when we get to know a person. And specifically, our trust grows and is strengthened when we discover that that person's word is as good as they say it is, right? And so when Jesus says, come to me, we get to hear this invitation over and over through the pages of Scripture. And as we come to him, this invitation reveals to us the very heart of God. And friends, I'm telling you right now, if you don't have the trust to move towards him, you borrow my trust, you borrow a friend's trust, because his heart can be trusted. His heart can be trusted more than anything else in this world. Like we have this invitation from the beginning of Scripture to the very end of Scripture. When sin first entered the world in Genesis chapter 3 and Adam and Eve realized their sin and their eyes were open, they realized they were naked and they were hiding. Who came? God did. It was a form of invitation. Why are you hiding? And he starts to promise that he's going to make a way. For all things to be made right. We saw last week in Hebrews chapter 4, God over and over and over saying, Today, if you hear my voice, don't harden your heart. Why is he doing this? Because he wants to lead us to good. Because there are so many voices in this world that are trying to destroy you. And then we see in Jeremiah 6, like, hey, if you don't know where to go, stand at the crossroads and ask where the good way is. And I will tell you. And when you walk in that path, I will give you rest. Isaiah chapter 1 in the midst of Israel's sin and rebellion where their sin is like is, is crimson red. Jesus says, let us reason together. Let's talk this through. 
You've rebelled, but I'm telling you, I will forgive and I will cleanse and I will make you as white as snow. That's an invitation. Isaiah 51, come to me and eat. Come and drink. If you're hungry and you're spending your energy on things that don't satisfy, come. Even if you don't have it, it's free. Jesus in John 7, if anyone thirsts, let him come and drink. And then we see in Revelation There's one who's at your door, knocking, saying, hey, I'm here. And it's an invitation for you to open it. What does that tell us about God's heart? He's gentle and he's kind and he won't force you. He's loving, he's for you. And the more we get to know this about him, Friends, we start to understand, oh my goodness, I can have rest. Because I don't have to wonder what he will think. I don't have to wonder what he will do. I don't have to wonder what he will say. Because he's for me. And if you receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, there's no condemnation. There's nothing that can ever separate you from the love of Christ. So even when we deviate away from following Jesus and having his yoke on us, and we start to feel condemned, we start to feel all of this angst and anxiousness. Like when we start to feel all of that, I lost my train of thought. (laughs) That's okay, life happens, it happens. So let's start here. (laughs) Because God is so good, not only does he invite us to come to him just as you are, he also invites us to take on his yoke. And here's what I want to say about this. By fact that he said to take on his yoke implies that we are under a yoke. So I want to say it this way. You are yoked. Now, as I have discovered in saying this phrase, it's a younger cultural vernacular word for implying looking somewhat like this muscle-bound guy. Like, man, are you yoked? I know I am. Like, but I'm like, that's not the yoked I'm talking about, okay? Let's praise the Lord, okay? It's more like this. Like, this is the reality. When Jesus says, take on my yoke, he's inferring you are already under a yoke. And this is the picture I want you to have in your mind. If you're yoked to anything or anyone else besides Jesus, this is what it looks like. And what I want you to grab here is that you're alone. You're alone. Because the world doesn't care for you. It, it doesn't care for you. It, it will say it does, but it will change its mind real quick. And if you don't move with it, it doesn't actually fulfill its promises. It's misleading. So, like, this is important for us to understand. So it's like Jesus is saying in contrast to people who are weary, burdened, striving to be good enough and to find peace. In inference, he's saying, take down this yoke and you put on mine. 
And so we got to understand something real quick about what a yoke is. Like in its literal sense, like if you've been in church world, you've probably seen a picture. Like a yoke is this wooden device that goes around two beasts of burden, like a horse or donkey or an ox. And the whole idea is that they would share the load together to plow a field or to pull a load, a cargo somewhere. But this idea of being yoked here in this reference when Jesus says, like, being yoked to me, and typically what farmers would do is they would take a seasoned ox and, and put a younger, immature ox in the same yoke so that it would learn from the older. That's the literal sense of the word yoke. But now, biblically speaking, there's two symbolic pictures. The first one is sin, Apart from Jesus, we are under the yoke of sin. Like you, you don't even have a choice. That's just the world you come into. You are a slave to sin. You, you have to obey the sinful nature inside of you because you are eternally separated from God and your spirit's not alive. And so that's all you know. And Paul would say this in Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6, specifically looking at verse 6. We know that our old self, which would be the yoke of sin, that life, was crucified with him in order that this body of sin might be brought to nothing. So that we'd no longer be enslaved to sin. In other words, being yoked to sin. Lamentations chapter 1, 14 talks about when we're sin, we're yoked to sin. And Paul speaking to the church, churches in Galatia saying, hey, you've been set free in Christ. Do not again put yourself under the yoke of sin. A narrative picture of being yoked to sin or a slave to sin is Israel when they were enslaved in the nation of Egypt being oppressed, they had to make bricks, and they were crying out. They were, in other words, like slaved to Pharaoh. They needed an outside redeemer, rescuer, to which God then sent Moses. And all of this is an archetypal picture for Jesus and the gospel. When he came, and he lived a life that we lived so that we could live his life so that when he died on the cross and the burden of our sin and the sin of the whole world fell on him, we are now set free from the yoke of sin. Like it is now a choice of ours. It doesn't define us. It doesn't control us. And now we have the option to choose to be a slave to sin or a slave to Jesus. Because the reality is, you are under a yoke, one way or the other. So that's one picture of being under a yoke, is sin. The second one is being underneath a certain uh, rabbinical teaching or philosophy, right? A religious doctrine or just a cultural way of life. Legalism would be that best form. You got to do this and this and this and this to be good enough. And then when you're finally good enough, you've earned God's favor and God's grace and God's merits. And now you got to continue to work and do this and this and this in order to maintain in God's favor and standard. That's not the yoke of Jesus. But not only that, there's a cultural yoke. Even though this religious yoke is pervasive in the church, I actually think we are more susceptible to the yoke of our present day culture. Culture right now in its post-modernity vein 
is constantly teaching us, specifically our younger generations, to look inward, to find the truth in their own hearts, to find their own standard of morality and be authentic to your true self. You look to your preferences and your biases and your predispositions, and then you be true to that. And when you are, there's your salvation. But that is so inherently flawed. And this world is producing through media multiple and millions of sound bites that reinforce this yoke by driving messages. Friends, it, takes, it doesn't take long for us to slow down and see this that are loaded with sexual immorality. Look, temper me, Lord. Look at what's happening to our youth. And we're so busy and distracted to go, oh, I don't agree with that. La-di-da. Like, it's just, it's inundating. It's, it's there. It's being driven. This cultural message of self-worship. You be you. You find you. You do this. Don't let anybody tell you that who you think you are is wrong. And even though it'll change, we will have to change and adapt to you. It just continues to feed and promote discord. And, and we have this multi-billion dollar industry of self-help in order to find our self-esteem. That alone should tell us that this philosophy isn't working. And all we see is now the greatest levels of anxiety and confusion and restlessness ever before. Because they say there is no absolute truth. It's all subjective. Morality is what you want to make until culture decides to shift that foundation again. And next thing you know, there's just great confusion. It's a yoke. That's just one of the cultural yokes that are there. They just keep saying, hey, you have to be the source of your own joy, contentment, and peace. So you get yours. You do what you got to do. You sacrifice what you got to sacrifice to get that. And all it produces is selfishness, self-absorbed, and self-focused people. So do we know which yoke are we under? Because when Jesus says, come to me, we come to him just as we are. But then we realize that he extends another invitation saying, there's a better way of life. Take off this yoke and put on mine because I'm gentle. I'm going to be in it with you. I'm the older, mature one. Like the cross, it finished it. It's done. Like I've done the work. I've sent my spirit to empower you, to guide you. You know my heart. You never have to question it for that. I am with you this whole way. Take on my yoke. I'm gentle. I'm humble. And then you will find rest for your souls. Then you will find rest for your souls. Do you know the heart and the desire of the world's intentions for you? The sexual freedom, the you do you, don't let anybody tell you any different. Do you know the heart and the desires and the intention that's driving that message for you? John 10.10. 10. The thief, Satan, the devil, the evil one, who's kind of ruling culture, comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And what is the heart and the desires of being underneath the yoke of Jesus? I have come that you may have life and have it to the full 
You see, the, Thomas Merton was right that the rush and pressure of modern life is a form of pervasive, a pervasive form of contemporary violence because we're so busy, we're so hurried, so distracted. We'll get to it now, we'll get to it later. I can't do this, I can't do this, that we fail to recognize the one thing that's needed. Come to Jesus. Take off your yoke and put his on. His yoke is an invitation to live life the way Jesus lived. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. A follower of Jesus is one who has taken off the yoke of the world and has put on the yoke of Jesus, where they are saved by grace, not by works, but they start to live life the way Jesus lived. And that yoke is best defined this way. Be with Jesus. Be with Jesus. Become like Jesus. Do what he would do if he were you. His yoke is easy. And his yoke is light. That doesn't mean there's a stress-free burden-free life. It means that in the burdens of life, you have one that has already destroyed sin and death. You have one who's paid it all so that you could be declared innocent and you never have to wonder again of your standing before God. We have one that's given us his very own spirit, given us everything we need for life and godliness. Be with Jesus. Be like Jesus and live life like the way he would live your life. Do you need rest? Are you willing today in whatever circumstance, in whatever emotional state, whatever financial state, whatever marital state, whatever parental state, whatever state of singleness you're in, whatever, whatever state of anything, are you willing to come to Jesus? Because the moment you walk out of here, the world's going to start to invite you to come to it. And it's our choice which yoke we will put ourselves under. If you want rest, we have to slow down. We have to find these moments where we can be with Jesus. Jesus was way more busy than you, I promise. Had way more (laughs) significant burdens than you. I promise. He carried the weight of the world, literally. And yet he modeled for us a life of being with God. Because he knew how vital it was for him. You have to do it, friends. This world is causing violence to your heart. 
we got to stop saying we're too busy. We got to start adjusting our schedules. We have to. Not because that's what good church people do. Because it's what's right for us. It's where we find rest. It's where we get to experience the love of God and everything flows from that. I guarantee you the best moments of your spirituality, when you feel like God is close to you and you feel like you understand God's love, I promise you is when you actually spend a lot more time with him. So where does the OODA loop principle come in? Observe, orient, decide, act. It's a helpful thing because coming to Jesus is a daily deal. Observe your life and your moments. Last night for me, as I'm preaching live, I'm observing, I don't feel right. Feeling anxious and stressed and panicky, feeling like I'm forcing the issue. And in that moment, what I'm, how am I going to orient my decision? Am I going to go, no, I'm just going to focus in on myself. I'm going to talk myself out of this. I'm going to talk myself into feeling better. Or am I going to orient myself to Jesus and be like, Jesus, what is going on? I'm coming to you. I don't know what to do. I'm, I'm weary here. I'm casting my anxieties on you here. God, I got a crazy day coming up. Observe. Orient. Are you going to turn to Jesus or to the things of the world? And then when you go, you decide, what's the decision? Am I going to take off the yoke that I'm on and take on Jesus' yoke? That's the decision you have to make in your hurried, chaotic life. Will I come to Jesus or will I come to the other things that are wooing me to itself? And then you act. That's trust. That's not belief. Belief is just going, yeah, I believe this to be true. Trust is saying, well, I'm going to actually live as if it is true. So it's a simple principle. That's why I love this little bracelet. Uda, observe daily, moment by moment. Orient, where am I turning my heart and my eyes? Decide, am I taking on the yoke of Jesus or am I not? And then you act. So here's how I want to end this time. Because I want us to have a moment of like turning our hearts to Jesus. Because I believe this is one of those moments where we have to go, okay, Lord, this is not a let me put off decision thing because that would actually be not honoring the passage because the passage says right now, come. So I want to ask this question. What's keeping you back from coming to Jesus right now? Believer, non-believer, doesn't matter. What is it? What is the obstacle that's keeping you from coming to Jesus? And I'm gonna propose four things. And if you read the rest of Matthew chapter 11, you start with verse one all the way down to 28, you will see different types of people The first one is you see John the Baptist who's in prison and he's doubting if Jesus is the Messiah because of his circumstance. My circumstance is not what I thought it would be. It's not good. 
And then he had an expectation that Jesus as the Messiah would set him free from prison and it wasn't happening. So God wasn't meeting his expectations and he started to doubt. And Jesus said in verse six, blessed is the one who's not offended on account of me. I know in my own life, when God doesn't meet my expectations, I get offended at God. I get mad, I get bitter, I get resentful. God, I thought you would do this because I did this. I don't know. And I get offended. Or if my circumstances aren't as I wish they were, it's easy to take offense of God. But Jesus is saying, blessed is the one who does not take offense of how I work or how I'm leading or how I'm guiding because it doesn't change his heart for us or the circumstance. The second group we see in this chapter is Jesus talking about what should I compare this present generation to? And essentially he calls them childish. They're childish. Like we invited you to play this game and you're like, no, I don't want to unless you play my game. I'm gonna take my ball and go home too. Childish is like, I know what God's asking me to do, but I'm just not going to. I know you've never done that. When we act childish, we refuse to come to Jesus. And then the third obstacle we see in Matthew 11 is our own pride. It doesn't make sense. I don't understand. It's not reasonable. But yet God, does, in our own intellect and our own reasoning gets in the way. Friends, I don't know where you're at this morning and in any context, but I'm willing to bet that you are just like me in the fact that you are susceptible to busyness, hurry, distraction, and that you just like me fail to guard our own heart, that our, sometimes our spirituality is super shallow. I'm willing to bet that you also know what it's like to labor, what it's like to be exhausted and weary. This morning, wherever you are at in whatever circumstance and whatever situation you're in, Jesus is saying, come to me just as you are and I'll give you rest. You either trust that or you think Jesus is lying. Psalm 25 those who trust you will not be put to shame. So this morning, as we sing this last song of worship, I wanna encourage you, if you feel the need for prayer or maybe you're just at a spot where you are so weary and you're so burdened and so overwhelmed and anxious that you just don't even know what to pray and you don't even know what you think or feel spiritually, come get prayer and borrow someone else's faith. Let them pray over you. If you just need to spend some time alone with the Lord, you can do that in your seat or you can take advantage of these kneelers up front, whatever, it doesn't matter. My heart for you and for us as a church is that we 
respond to this beautiful invitation from Jesus to come to him. And as you do, you decide which yoke you're going to put on yourself. So Jesus, I thank you for your word. And I ask that you would use these final moments together to speak deep truths to our heart. You make it so clear, your heart and your desire and your intentions for us, and yet you even make it so crystal clear, the heart and intentions of this world. You constantly are shouting out to anyone and everyone to come to you. If we're thirsting, if we're hungering, if we're weary, if we're laboring, if we're exhausted, come. That's your heart, for God so loved the world that he gave So any who should believe in him shall have eternal life. Come to Jesus and find rest for your soul. Take his yoke. You take yours off and you take his on. Learn from him. Be with him. So Holy Spirit, I pray that you would do a healing work in our hearts. We entrust this moment to you, in Christ's name.